Hi, this is Brent Hilming. Thanks for tuning in. You know, it takes more than just an individual with a guitar or a keyboard to lead worship. It takes a team. Today's podcast will cover several keys and practical steps that'll help you develop a more committed worship team. Once again, thanks for tuning in. One of the universal elements of a worship ministry, no matter what church or size of church that you're at or denomination, is that uh, most of a worship ministries are staffed by volunteers. They're staffed by those that uh, freely choose to participate, whether it's playing guitar or drums or doing sound or uh, helping run the media or lights or whatever it may be. Um, but they're staffed by volunteers who choose to freely give of their time and their energy, you know, sacrifice to be there, which is, which is incredible and a wonderful picture of the kingdom. And it has certain uh, blessings inherent in just the fact that it's volunteers. It's great. But it also brings up uh, some areas that can be uh, frustrating and kind of cause some issues in the area of commitment because they are volunteers as well. And so today we're going to just talk about developing a more committed team. Um, and just taking it from the aspect that, uh, again, most of us are using volunteers. So it's not like we can just uh, crack the whip and um, threaten to fire them. It's hard to fire somebody you didn't hire. So <laughs> there's volunteers. So there's got to be a different way for us to look at increasing the commitment level and the buy-in for those that are volunteers. So um, I first just want to make sure we cover a couple foundational understandings um, here. Um, and the first one is that increasing commitment, it is primarily about effective and authentic servant leadership. So really, first, the issue of, of increasing commitment falls on us as the worship pastor or worship director or worship leader, whatever your title and your role is there. But it's about increasing effective and authentic servant leadership. And uh, John Maxwell, who's known for his writings on leadership, and I, I encourage you to, to read um, books, if you're a worship leader, about leadership and how to lead. And just to gleam, um, even though it's written more from the business sense, you can still gleam those principles that really work well in leading a group or with people or becoming a more effective leader. So, But he has this quote that says, people buy into the leader first and then the leader's vision. So they buy into the leader first than the vision. And so the first question that you need to ask, or that kind of reflects back to you, and you ask yourself is, am I a leader uh, who's worth following? Which to me brings up thoughts of integrity and authenticity and commitment and humility. All, all the components that are part of being a servant, a servant leader. And um, I think the, the other foundational understanding is that the leader is only as effective as he or she is committed to the mission at hand, or the call, or the vision of this thing of worship. Um, so people buy into a leader's first, then their vision, and the leader is only as effective um, as they are committed to their vision. So are we completely committed to the vision? So though, those are some key understandings now as we move forward that we need to just hold and kind of keep relevant as we study this material. So Two keys. I'm just going to focus on two keys. There's a lot of information in just these two keys, but just two primary things um, for to help us increase the commitment here for our worship team. 
<clears throat> and the first is clearly communicate your call or your vision. Call vision, you can use those words synonymously, but clearly communicate the call. And, um, you know, the vision or the call of your worship ministry, and I'm talking about your worship ministry itself, what you, what the team is gathered together to do. Um, Gene Wilkes, who's a, a, an author and a pastor, has written on leadership as well. And he wrote a book called Jesus on Leadership. It's a book that I recommend uh, that you would read. And he says, a true team is formed for a purpose. And that purpose drives the team throughout its existence. And this is why each ministry team must know its mission and how it relates to the overall mission of the church. So this this vision or mission, it's a blending of like God's heart and the church's specific view. And in each of our churches, each church specifically, has a vision for what worship is and how it should interact with the overall mission statement or vision of the church. And thus, that vision begins to give us the clues of how worship will work and look or sound. So in other words, it begins to give us the the actual directives of what we do in the worship ministry. So let me read that quote again. A true team is formed for a purpose. Okay, So we need to really clearly know what that purpose is. And that purpose drives the team throughout its existence. In other words, it's, it's why we're together. It's why this worship team is, why these volunteers come together here. And this is why each ministry team must know its mission and then not only know its, its specific mission, but how that mission relates to the overall mission of the church. Because each worship team, we are not an island unto ourselves. We function within the umbrella of our church, of our church ministry. That's, we exist for the sake of that congregation. I mean, as a team, we exist as a worship team, as for myself, as the worship team at Mission Hills Church, worship leader, that team, we exist for, um, to serve the overall mission of that church there. So how do we, how do we do this? How do we clearly communicate um, the call or the vision? And uh, one of the ways to do it is we need to articulate the what, the why, and the how. So team members need to know what they are being called to. David Roos, um, in teaching on worship once, coined the phrase, and actually I'm not sure if he coined the phrase or just used it, but I'll, I'll give David credit here. But he called, he called worship a sacred trust, the leading of worship as a sacred trust, that God has bestowed upon us as worship leaders and as worship team members. Um, he's invited us into the sacred trust to you know, because worship is about bringing people before God and providing a way for them to connect with God through the arts, through music, through singing. And it's this sacred trust. So do our team members get that? Okay. Do they, do they know what they're being called into or do they think that it's just about playing music every Sunday? Is it just about being a band? Um, you know, I know frequently what I tell the players that, um, that I'm leading is that, um, when we begin to rehearse, I tell them, you know what? Any band on the planet can play music. But God's called us together here as a worship team to lead worship, which is something much different than just playing music. So do your team members know what they're being called into? Do they get a sense of the big picture? Do they? Um, are you able to, to communicate with them how worship and music can 
is supposed to help connect people to God and his word? Are, are, you, are you communicating that? So as part of the communication of the vision, tell them what. What is it that they're doing? They're not just showing up for a rehearsal. See, they're not just taking time away from their families, um, you know, leaving work a little bit early to get the rehearsal or whatever it may be. I mean, the sacrifices that every volunteer makes um, week in and week out or month in and month out. If they know what in the bigger picture it is that they're called to, it really helps them to buy in and to up the level of commitment there. Um, Team members also need to know why, why they are doing what they do. So the what is kind of getting the big picture, but the why, why is it? So I mean like from a practical sense as well as a theological sense. Um, you know, questions like, you know, well, why do we do the specific songs that we do? That probably has practical and theological significance in there. Why are you choosing these songs? What about the themes of the songs or the type of song? Or, um, or, or, or why are we arranging the songs this particular way? Um, why do we do a guitar solo? Or why do you not ever do guitar solos? Or, you know, I'm just trying to... You know, all the different pieces that we do of worship here. Uh, maybe for your church, why do you have a choir? Or why do you not have a choir? Why do you allow special music solos? Or or why do you, you know, use that as part of your, your worship service? Or why do you not? I mean, it, it seems kind of silly that we would be, have to, you know, or would want to explain these these practical things. But but really, it, it, it helps to create this concept of why are we doing what we do? For instance, let me use the example of a guitar solo. Um, I like to have places in the worship set where there's a guitar solo. I don't, you know, I don't have it every single worship set, but uh, frequently I will. And there's a whole mentality behind why and what I do. And one of those things that's driving me is that I actually believe that God not only speaks through the lyrics of the worship song, but he also speaks through the music itself. That's a fundamental core belief that I have um, regarding worship. So I would believe that God would be able to speak through a guitar solo, that that doesn't just have to be about a guitar player just shredding up a solo and being it about him and grandstanding his, his own talent. Now, I've seen that happen with guitar solos or whatever, keyboard solos, or even a vocalist leading out. There's a way that they can sing that it's all about them, or is it all about really focusing and letting God sing through you, or in getting back to the guitar solo, letting God almost, it's almost like, like prophesying on the instrument, I guess, is one way to say it, that God would speak through the notes and the melodies being played if that guitar player is in a place where he understands the what he's being called into, that it's a sacred trust of music, and he understands the why, why is he being called to at this point in the song to maybe step forward and, and do this guitar solo? When he begins to understand the bigger picture behind these things, it helps him play in a way and avail himself to God more in a way to be used, see? And his commitment level buys in. His talents are just being able to be used. He's not just up there strumming chords, but there's this there's this whole mentality that he's being used, or she is being used on their instrument for God. Okay? So team members need to know uh, the what of the vision, the why behind it, um, and then also the how. 
So the what, why, and how. Um, how are they expected to accomplish the vision or the call that you're inviting them into as they become part of a team? Um, so because, you know, our worship ministry requires our specific activities and commitments. So um, like what's required of being a part of the team? How do you do this? Well, you're required to be at rehearsal if you do rehearsals, or you're required to be on time on Sunday morning when we set up or when we do our sound check. Or, I mean, you're, you know, what are the specific little requirements? Um, you're required to serve for six months or a year, you know, so that you're on the team and, you know, or you're required to be here for two Sundays a month or, um, you know, you're required to be involved in the church life, not just, you know, it's not just about you playing music. So you only show up to church when you play music or when you're on that Sunday, you know, what are the specific commitments that are relevant to your church and your ministry that kind of help them govern how do they operate in this call? And you might think this is so elementary and just so plain and simple, but I'll tell you, this gets missed all the time, all the time. You need to clearly communicate what's expected. Um, you know, what's their overall commitment, time commitment. What about their gift growth? I mean, I, I would frequently have commitments for the worship team that they're actively working on their craft, whether it be vocals or bass guitar or keyboards or drums or electric guitar. I mean, whatever it is, sound, that they are actively pursuing getting better at their craft in some way. Now, some churches you may be able to actually offer um, lessons or other types of resourcing help. Um, that's not always available to other churches. And, and honestly, that onus and responsibility is on the individual um, musician to really make sure that they are becoming better at their craft. Um, you know, Chronicles talks about uh, when, the, when the, the temple musicians and singers were being set up, that they were chosen because they had skill, you know, <laughs> we need, there's skill to play. And, you know, the various skill levels will relate to each of our churches and our kind of context of reality of what musicians are available and uh, what type of, um, you know, quality you, uh, you, you, you need or want or, or whatever. That's, that's up to you guys to set. But still, you need to be growing. So the what, the why, the how are involved in how you communicate the vision because a team is formed for a purpose and that purpose drives a team throughout its existence. And that purpose for each ministry team has to relate to the overall vision of the church. So hopefully that gives you a picture. So now let me talk just for a minute here on the second part of this about the, uh, the call of the vision and, and what that kind of needs to be. That's kind of more of the practical. But here, you know, the vision needs to be God-given. And let me do four ingredients, four ingredients here for the call. So it needs to be God-given. You know, leading worship's not just about accomplishing personal agendas. You know, worship, worship is, is primarily about God's glory. So the call or the vision that you have or that you're gaining or that you're growing in, that you're, you're connecting with, you need to purpose in your heart to make sure that this is a God-given vision. Okay? And it needs to be consistent as well. This is the second ingredient. So it's first it needs to be God-given. You need to pray and figure that out and let God sow that into your heart. The next is it needs to be consistent. Um, because it takes time for a vision to be sown into a team or into a congregation. You know, you need to do that. And it takes time for um, the fruit to finally be seen. 
as you sew that in. Um, have you been places where they kind of jump from vision to vision? Sometimes you'll see this a lot in the senior pastor and the, and the senior leadership sometimes that, you know, churches, they're, they're, they're trying to find their vision and sometimes they work it out publicly. And this month we're all about pursuing this and this month then we're all about pursuing this. And, and, and we kind of, it's just back and forth and there never gets any of this kind of a solid foundation set up underneath that is consistent and consistency really, really helps. And the consistency factor also means that your personal vision or the vision of the worship ministry must be connected and in line with, consistent with, the overall vision of the church. I mean, most churches nowadays end up having a vision statement that they feel that, you know, the pastor or the leadership or the denomination has um, has felt that, that God has placed and put on this particular church, you know, or on this particular pastor's heart to implement well, your worship ministry and your vision and understanding of how your piece of that puzzle, the worship ministry, connects with and flows and coordinates with that, that overall vision of the church, okay? So there has to be consistency. So God-given consistency, the third ingredient, attainable, you know? Um, commitment increases when a goal or the vision is not only possible, but can actually be realized, you know what I'm saying? Or not, not just articulated, but actually realized. Um, I, here's an example of what I mean is that I've, I've been to, and I've talked with worship leaders after they've been to like a big conference, um, or a big, huge worship event or extravaganza, and they come back and they decide that that's the vision for their church, what they experienced and saw at this, you know, several thousand people worshiping, uh, which was an incredible experience and a wonderful time, is now going to be the vision that they have for their church. And they begin to try and put that expectation on to a church of a couple hundred, let's say. Or um, it's just different. And, and a Sunday morning, every every Sunday morning, week in, week out, it, it's a different context than a big worship event. And what they try and do is they try and put something that's just not really necessarily attainable on you know, a consistent level into, into action, and that breeds frustration and disillusionment. So make sure that the, the vision that, that you're, you're, you're working out with God is God-given, consistent, attainable. And the fourth ingredient is that it's shareable, you know? The commitment is increased and deepened um, as the ability for others to own the vision is increased. So you've got to be able to articulate it. If it's just kind of nebulous and it's out there and it's just feeling it, you know, that type of thing. If you have you talk with people where they can't really get clear on what they're saying, and you, it makes it difficult for you to join them because it's not clear, it's not shareable, it's not you know relatable, um, and so, and and then how do you raise up other leaders to help you if you can't? explain what this is or share with them what this is and they can't come in and shoulder that burden, you know, or that load of leading and commitment with you. So, um, you know, th these are very simple, just very practical. Sometimes people say it's very dry, but this information here about communicating the call is just so vital. And it's something that just can flow out of just who we are. It just doesn't have to be an, uh, just a burdensome type of thing on you. It's just very simple. Um, articulate the what the why and the how of what you're doing to your team. And then with your vision, make sure it's God-given, consistent, attainable, and shareable. Um, so here's just some practical questions as I just finish up. That's the first key here. Um, 
just I just want to leave you with, and maybe these will just resonate with you, and you can take time to answer these on your own. But you know, ask yourself why does your worship ministry at your church, what you're doing, why does it exist? Ask the question, figure it out, wrestle it out, get the answer. How does it fit into the overall vision of your church? Um, are the things that you're doing accurately reflect the purpose of the ministry? In other words, the things that you're actually doing, the way you're choosing your set lists, the way that you're choosing songs from week to week, the way that you're keeping a some level of consistency or flow in worship, or the way that you're scheduling musicians, or um, the way that you're setting up the stage maybe, or whatever it may be. Are those specific tasks, do those accurately reflect the purpose of your ministry? In other words, you know, are those consistent? Um, are you fully committed to the vision and the purpose of the worship ministry itself? Are you fully committed to the purpose and vision of your church's ministry? That's a big one. Are, are, are you actually connected? Are you equally yoked with the pastor and with the vision of the church? That's huge. Um, do my team members know what they are being asked to take part in. So when when someone comes and uh, a new singer is coming to play, you know, and set, or to sing, and she says she wants, or he says he wants to be a part of the worship ministry, by the time they get on the stage, if you've said yes or you've vetted them out or whatever, however that process works, do they clearly know what's expected of them and what they're taking part in? Because that will really help to keep the commitment level, um, the longevity of that commitment level. So. So there, there's a few, um, a few questions related to that. So the first key is to clearly communicate the call or clearly communicate the vision of that. Um, and you know, you know what? Before I move on to the second key, let me just share some practical steps. Once you've wrestled with these questions, it might be really helpful for you to actually write out um, a purpose or a vision statement that uh, you, you know can be articulated easily and often. I, I used to do this. I used to call it the worship ministry profile. And it would just be a one, you know, one sheet paper. And I would put on there, what's, what, this is the mission statement. Here's the goals. Here are the very, you know, the key things that drive the ministry. Here are the key requirements and expectations of those involved in the ministry. And I just lay it out and I'd, I'd make, I'd at least give it to them to read, but um, usually I would then be able to have some time where I would just dialogue about it with them. Um, and I would consistently talk about that with the team, like in team meetings or in rehearsals, sometimes in letters or emails, I would find ways to just reinforce and re-communicate the, the what, the why, and the how both in subtle ways and, um, you know, just in blatant ways, <laughs> you know, just tell them here it is. Um, so anyway, those are some practical steps and ways that you can do that. So that's the first key. The second key in uh, helping us increase our commitment is uh, once you've communicated the call, you need to care for the community. You actually, you really need to care for the group. Um, as well as, um, people tend to follow the leader first, then the leader's vision. Another truth, and this again, this is John Maxwell, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I'll tell you, in my years of leading worship and of the pastoral ministry, um, I have seen this to be true time and time again. And any time that I've lost sight of that truth, 
um, it's, it's come back to, to bite me. And, uh, and I've lost levels of commitment and, um, and I haven't led and pastored and cared for people half as effectively as I needed to and, or should. So um, it's important to remember, first off, that your team members are people first and players second. See, remember they're volunteers. Remember that. They have other lives. They have other jobs. They have kids. They have kids programmed. You know, they, they have all these things going on in life, as well as just the pressures that those things bring on them. And then they're supposed to, on top of that, come and show up for rehearsal and to show up then on Sunday morning and they come early. And if um, <clears throat> if only one of the the, uh, the um, husband or wife plays in the worship team, that means that you're splitting up a family now on a Sunday morning. So they're coming to church separately, probably. You know, I mean, see, there's all these things going on. So that creates situations and dynamics. <coughs> but if you understand that they're people first and players second, you're able to be tuned into those things and you begin to treat them not as someone that's filling a slot on a schedule, but as someone that is bringing something unique into this vision that God has given them and able to use it. So care for them with a pastor's heart. Whether your title is pastor or not, it doesn't matter. Care for them. And a pastor's heart just means think about them as people first, not players. Think about them. Care for them. Give, you know, use grace and mercy. I mean, all the things you would in a relationship. You know, pray for them uh, individually as well as a team, which takes quite a lot of dedication on your part as a leader uh, to do that. Um, encourage, encourage them. Find ways to encourage them, whether it's giving some good attaboys during rehearsal or after rehearsal saying, wow, that was great. Or, hey, um, I know that this is a really tough time right now in your work and you're really busy. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time and you, you're able to come to rehearsal. And uh, I just want you to know, I just really appreciate that. You know, just little things like that are great. Um, help give them some instruction. You know, um, it really helps if you show up to rehearsal and you're prepared. I guess that's assuming you have a rehearsal, but let's just assume for a moment you're rehearsing your team and you show up prepared. You have the charts ready for the team or or you've distributed the charts ahead of time or however that works, but you've, you're prepared. You know what you want to do in the rehearsal and you know where you're going. What that shows is that you value, you value the team members time and commitment. See, again, they're, they're, they're sacrificing at whatever level to come to rehearsal during that week or to show up early at church and do that. You honor them by being ready to go and by having your act together and knowing kind of where you're going. And now I, I know that there's times where we're not totally clear and we kind of wing a little bit. And I, I, I get that, but I'm saying overall, do you show them that you honor their commitment? Because if you show them that you honor them, they'll be willing to serve you in a greater way. See, remember at the very beginning of this whole thing, I just said that increasing commitment is primarily about effective and authentic servant leadership. It's not about bribery. It's not about manipulation. It's about servant leadership. So encourage, um, help, help instruct, you know, if there's ways that you can encourage and instruct, um, um, in a way that is, is helpful and encouraging, um, communicate. We've talked about that a lot already. You can't communicate enough. 
and this is where email is wonderful. Um, sending out a lot of emails, um, whether it's just an encouragement. Hey, um, like I'll, I'll send out an email saying just a reminder about rehearsal coming up t- tonight and just want you guys to know I'm just so stoked about leading worship with you this week. Now, that really helps if that email is authentic from your heart <laughs> and they'll know if it's not. But there in that quick little email, if I break it down now into more of a teaching time like what we're doing at the moment here, I just communicated clearly what's happening, what's expected of them. In communicating in that way, I'm showing them honor and value. And then I encourage them and I show them that they're a part of something bigger. They're players and they're people. I mean, they're people, not just players. And I'm so I'm so excited to be with them. I, I, I valued them and I encouraged them. And that was a two-sentence, three-sentence email that I sent out. And, and that's just the type of stuff we're talking about. But see, that's got to flow from an authentic place inside of you as the leader first. Otherwise, it comes off as canned or manipulative okay, or contrived. But, but communicate. You can't communicate too much with that. Um, and I already talked about honoring their commitment. So um, I think as you're caring for the community, something else that, that is, is important is that um, you should find a balance of caring for the people in a group setting as well as in an individual setting. And this is really going to depend upon how much time you have available. What, you know, many of you probably listening to this, um, this uh, teaching here, you're probably volunteers as well. Um, so you're the volunteer leader leading the other volunteers. That may be the case, or you're the part-time staff member. Um, or even if you're the full-time staff member, your free time and ability to connect um, is going to have to be driven by the reality of your life and the reality of your situation. And that's totally okay. Um, but if you can, find a balance between group connection and individual connection. So the group is, you know, um, like the group email. I just said, or at, at rehearsal saying, um, you know, just uh, communicating in, in that group setting. Or if you have a team meeting or something, uh, communicating in that way. Th- those are all group settings. Individually, you know, going out to lunch afterwards or after rehearsal. Um, one of my favorite things to do is after rehearsal, we used to uh, try and get rehearsal done at a decent hour and then go grab a, a burrito or a taco or a coffee or I mean whatever whatever it may be and invite some of the team or whoever can come come and just you know spend another whatever amount of time and just connecting that's that's a good way to do that and just caring and showing them that they're people first players second um and then another way that you care for the community is just realizing that there's a comprehensive nature to your worship ministry and what I mean by that is that um it's multifaceted and it all fits together. And there's there's three main components. There's a musical, spiritual, and social aspect to what we're doing. And if we remember this, all these things I just talked about, praying and encouraging, equipping, understanding their needs, communicating, all these things need to be done um, directed towards the musical aspect of what we do. So encouraging them from, you know, in, in how we rehearse and play in their spiritual walk. Um, you know, there's, there's um, commitments and there's levels of... Um, of buy-in that they need to have in a spiritual sense, in a theological sense, about worship and about serving in a church, um, about the moral commitment of being on the stage as opposed to not, and um, and you know, kind of the you know the standards a little bit higher for those that are on the stage. 
So there's there's a spiritual aspect, and then there's social as well. And this is that part of honoring them as who they are. So just keep that in mind. There's musical, social, and spiritual. And I kind of see these things as interlocking circles that kind of interconnect. And so they're they're individual and separate, but they work together and in unison to create the whole. And if um, one of those areas is not really being effectively connected with or um, uh, worked out or you paying attention to it, it'll begin to kind of the, you know, the wheel wobbles a bit. So I think you kind of get that picture, but just keep that in mind. That'll be helpful. Um, and then, so here, here finally, as, as we're, we're, we're wrapping up here, here, here's some question to ask yourself about this, this, um, second key of caring for the community. Do the members of my team know that I care about them for who they are and not primarily for what they do? Just stop and ask yourself, think about each person in your team and say, does this person know this? Does my guitar player know this? Does my keyboard player know this? Does my sound man know this? Hear that. Those are the forgotten heroes in the back. Does my sound man know that I care about them first for who they are instead of primarily what they do? Um, Am I creating avenues for relationship for both myself and my team members away from the task of leading worship? There's so much time we're going to spend that's going to be just focused on needing to get the business end of arranging a song, rehearsing the songs, getting it prepared and ready for Sunday morning. But what about outside of that? I really encourage you to, um, as a worship uh, leader, if, if you have this ability to, maybe every, you can do it every month if you want, but maybe every six weeks, every other month, you have a team meeting where it's almost like a, like a small group or home group and meet in someone's home or at one of the, you know, the rooms at the church or whatever it may be, but it's away from the stage and the platform and just kind of connect, maybe spend some time worshiping together. Maybe you want to go over a piece of scripture together, or maybe you just want to, everyone just have dessert and hang out. Maybe you use it as a way to kind of communicate and cast vision for what's happening, you know, coming up in the next few months of the church itself and whatever, but it just creates ways away from just music itself to have relationships. So that's important. So um, another question, are the opportunities for relationship and growth in each of the, are there opportunities and relationship for growth in each of the three components that I just talked about worship ministry? So for the musical, spiritual, and social, I think if you just, if you take just those questions and kind of dwell on that a little bit, it, it, it'll really help you fine tune it and get, um, you know, kind of be able to ascertain where you're at and, uh, and how you can inc- increase and improve in these areas. And in doing that, you're going to increase the level of buy-in and the commitment, uh, for your team. So, um, a couple of the practical suggestions, take 15 or 15 minutes, even at rehearsal to check in with the team and then pray specifically for people's needs. There's, you know, sometimes people show up to rehearsal and their lives and their day has just been a wreck. And it would be really, wouldn't it be great if we just noticed that? You know, let's say it's your bass player, you know, they show up, man, they just, just look like the world's in their shoulders. And what if we just took a few minutes before practice and we just said, what's going on? And let, let him or her share. And then we prayed and just said, man, we just care about you. And wow, that's cool. Or that's hard and oh, we're with you or, you know, h- however the situation is that, that goes a long way. So, you know, you know, look for those opportunities to do that. Use email as a way to connect. Um, so anyway, so we talked about those things. So just recapping people buy into the leader first and then the vision. 
And the leader is only as effective as he is committed to the vision or committed to the call. And so the two keys to increase that commitment in, in those around you and those that are coming to your team is you need to clearly communicate the vision. Um, you need to communicate and articulate the what, the why, the how. Your vision must be God-given, consistent, attainable, shareable. And as you communicate that vision, you also then, as the second key, you need to care for the community because your team members are people first and they're players second and they really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So pray for them, encourage them, honor their commitment, show them that you honor their commitment. If you do those things, I think you'll see a drastic increase in the, uh, in the commitment of your team members because people want to be part of something bigger than themselves and they want to know that they're part of something that's eternal and grand and not just a weekly task. So I hope this has been helpful to you and I hope that your teams continue to grow as you seek the Lord. This presentation is part of the teaching and worship ministry of Brent Helming. Additional resources are available at www.brenthelming.com. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mark Griffo for the original music featured on this podcast, and thank you again for tuning in.